chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And now our text, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would mature and grow us in the faith that's been passed down to us. Help us now to believe and treasure every word you're speaking to us. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Reading Titus has been a little bit like watching an episode of HBO's Hard Knocks, if you've ever seen that show. Hard Knocks is a documentary TV show following the Monday through Friday preparations of an NFL football team. This is just, let me just apologize to you right now if you're not into sports ball. If like sports analogies just kill you on Sunday, I don't know what you're talking about. Hopefully this isn't too abstract for you, okay? But there's going to be just lots of football references throughout this sermon. So again, I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Okay, Hard Knocks, uh, this, this show, it, it, it demonstrates that a huge part of an NFL team's job, of, of an NFL player's job, is classroom stuff. Like, sitting in the classroom Monday through Friday, developing a game plan, learning about your opponent's tactics, watching game film of, you know, previous games, evaluating your performance, as well as all the traditional kind of on-field, hitting the pads, and doing drill kind of stuff. Paul's been doing something similar through the letter uh, to Titus. He has been reminding, kind of in a classroom setting, as they read this, this letter, reminding Christians about who they are and what they're supposed to be doing day to day warning them about some of the obstacles, some of the opponents that they're going to face when they get out on the field, and reminding the church of what their mission is. Hard Knocks uh, looks at an NFL player's week-long preparation for their mission, which is pretty small. It's, it's a football game that just lasts for a few hours every Sunday. And in an interesting way, kind of a Christian's life is the exact opposite of that. We spend a few hours together on Sunday preparing for our mission Monday through Friday, the all-day, everyday calling of following Jesus in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our schools. Throughout Titus, Paul has been like a coach in the classroom with Titus and his people. He's drawn up the plays. He's reminding everybody in the church of what their specific role on the field is. And here, as we come to the very end of Titus, practice is over. The team's on the field. They're in their huddle. They all, you know, they say break because it's game time. It's time to execute. Paul's letter, if you look at what we've printed on the, on the back middle portion of our worship guide, it closes in a pretty traditional way that, that letters in the ancient world would end. There's a final greeting with a benediction or a blessing, well wishes to the recipients of the letter. Our emails typically are very short at the beginning and end. Hi, 
by, you know, there's not much to it. But letters then, they ended with a flourish, with lots of warmth, lots of personal affection. If you read verses 12 through 15, it's warm, it's personal. Uh, Paul is saying goodbye to uh, Titus and to the churches in Crete in using, you know, the traditional forms that old letters would have. Look at verse 12 with me. Paul wants Titus to do his best to receive Artemis and Tychicus and then to himself, Titus, to get off Crete and come to visit Paul in the city of Nicopolis. Uh, that's now Western Greece. Artemis, that character that's here, he's actually not mentioned anywhere in the Bible except for here in Titus. Uh, we don't know much about him, but Tychicus uh, is mentioned a few times as being a fellow worker of Paul. He's kind of well-known. He's a Titus-like figure. He's involved in church planting and, and establishing churches where he goes. You first meet Tychicus in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. You can look that up if you want, where we're introduced to him. He's a, he's a ministry partner of Paul's. Paul brags on him at the end of his letters to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, describing Tychicus as a beloved brother, as a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Look at verse 13. Paul tells Titus to again, he says, do your best to help along two traveling workers who are coming through Crete. Uh, again, one of them we don't know much about. Uh, Zenus the lawyer, we don't know anything about him other than he's got an amazing name, like a great title, Zenus the lawyer. Um, the other one we do know quite a bit about, Apollos. Apollos we first meet also in the book of Acts. Paul brags about him in his letter to the Corinthian church. Apollos is a renowned servant of God. He is an eloquent and a dynamic speaker. He's a great guy. If you look at verse 14, Paul then gives some general instructions to Titus and to the Christians in Crete. Uh, there's a focus on doing good works to help cases of urgent need, uh, to not be unfruitful. And really this, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know, this is kind of a reiteration, uh, uh, a repetition of so much that Paul has already emphasized in his letter. It's one of the, the central thrusts of the entire letter. This is why Christ has given himself for his people, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is why Christ has given himself, both to save and to sanctify us, to both forgive our past and present sins, but also to help us live in godliness now and into the future, to do good deeds together as a church. If you look at verse 15, again, our bit of our truncated verse, we see Paul's final farewells. It seems like he's got a gang of Christians who are with him, who, who know Titus and the Cretan church. Perhaps they've met them, or perhaps they just pray for them, but Paul's saying, hey, we all say hi. We're all saying hi to you. Greet those who love us in the face, in the faith. The very last line, which is omitted, again, shows that the proper recipients of this letter is not just Titus, we're not reading Titus's mail, but really this is addressed to all the churches in Crete. Grace be with you all. Grace be with y'all. This letter is written for all of God's people, for all of those who love God's people, all of those who are in the faith that's been passed down to us. Um, one of the things, if you've ever seen Hard Knocks, one of the things that it highlights is the little sayings, the little mottos that teams latch on to, typically in preseason, and they, you know, they carry it throughout the year. So you'll notice that like um, coaches and team captains, they repeat this line over and over again to pump each other up. They get t-shirts printed that they all wear to, you know, they're, they're in class things. Maybe they have a couple motivational posters printed in their, in their, um, you know, their locker rooms. But they're really, they're short, pithy sayings just to get everybody on the same page, um, to keep them focused. You know, it's, it's lines like, uh, defend this house, or next man up. And really, uh, I was thinking, moms do this too. If you've ever been into a mom's kitchen, they have little, 
little posters around, love grows here, <laughs> you know, uh, up in the, so like moms, professional football teams, basically the same, not a lot of difference between them. And so our outline for this morning is we're going to be going through three phrases, three mottos that Paul might say to Titus in the churches as they're, you know, like leaving the locker rooms, running through the tunnels, heading out onto the field, you know, things maybe they got printed on t-shirts, um, for the church to keep them on focus, to keep them focused on the mission that God has given them. Uh, our outline um, is going to hopefully help us as a church keep focus too as we conclude our time in, in this letter, as we you know, together break huddle and we're sent out on mission together. So this is, the first, this is the first mantra, the first motto for us. Do your best. Do your best. Like, like a good coach, Paul repeats himself to Titus. Repetition is a very helpful tool in teaching. He actually just says one word in Greek. Uh, it's from the, the Greek root word spudo, uh, which here is translated, do your best. This could also be translated as uh, be, be eager, be very eager, or make every effort, or be ready. If you look at verse 12, he says, Titus, do your best to come visit me. Look at verse 13. He says, do your best to speed Zenus and Apollos, see that they lack nothing. Uh, spudo is a qualitative verb, uh, describing not something that you're supposed to do, but how to do something. Again, it's not describing something that Titus is to do, but the way he's supposed to do something. Uh, whatever God's calling him to do, he is to do his very best at it. And this is the same calling for all of us. Whatever God would have you do, he is asking you to do your best at it, to be eager, to be cheerful in doing it. If you remember, as we've gone through Titus, there's been a lot of instructions that's been given. Um, lots of things that Titus is supposed to do, lots of things that the church is called to do. If you recall back all the way to chapter 1, um, Titus is instructed to oversee the churches in Crete, to appoint and to train called and qualified local elders in leadership. Titus and the elders are also commanded by Paul to contend with false teachers in Crete to protect the church by counteracting false teaching. In chapter 2, Paul gives really specific instructions and God-given responsibilities to various people in the church. He gives instructions to older men, to older women, uh, to younger men, to younger women, to bond servants. He gives some specific commands to particular people, but he also then gives very general instructions to everybody in the church, general moral commands. Everybody who follows Christ needs to be self-controlled, upright, and godly. They're to do what's good, to renounce ungodly passions and pursuits. And when we got to chapter 3, there was more of this. We saw that Paul told the church to be submitted to rulers and authorities, both inside and outside the church, to be courteous to all people. And of course, permeating the entire letter we read from chapter 2, it's also very present in chapter 3, we saw that Paul um, is urging the church to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ the main thing, to dwell in grace, we're not loved, we're not rescued by Christ because of our obedience to these moral commands, but because of Christ's obedience. We don't do good in order to earn God's love and approval. No, God loves and approves of us because of Christ. Because of that, we are to go out and to do good. The Bible's got a lot of moral commands, a lot more than we've read in three chapters of Titus. There are actually lots of things for us to remember. And so I think this little, almost throwaway comment that Paul makes to Titus is very helpful for us as we consider all that God has called us to. Titus, as you do these things and more, do your best. Titus, 
Obey God with your whole heart, not just, not just a tiny bit of it. Titus, don't, don't drag your feet. Don't begrudge all of the things that you're being called to. Do your best at it. Get after it. Hustle. If you watch Hard Knocks, I'm not getting like a, a portion of the TV rights by, by saying it so often. I'm not getting you know, anything like that. There's no commission here, but I'm going to mention it again. In Hard Knocks, you see just how much coaches love to see hustles in their, hustle in their players. Um, even if a player is slower, less athletically gifted than other players on the field, coaches can't stop praising a player when they're doing their very best, when they're doing their best, giving their all, showing grit, not giving up even when it's tough. And you can see how infuriating it is to a coach when one of their star players, somebody who is naturally gifted and talented, isn't giving 100%. They might actually be outplaying other players on the field, but if they're not living up to their potential, if they're not doing their best, then, it, then it's not a good thing. Christians, all of us, are called to kingdom hustle, uh, working hard, working with tenacity at whatever God gives us, with whatever, God, with whatever gifts and talents God's given us. Uh, John Wesley, uh, the Anglican minister, he would say this, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That's kingdom hustle. That's doing your best. And so, just as an example to kind of unpack this idea, back in chapter 2 of Titus, uh, Paul wrote to young moms in the church. He said that they should love their husbands, love their kids, work hard at home. And so there's a question, young moms, are you doing your best? At what God has given you in this particular season, are you thinking creatively? Are you doing your work with your whole heart? Are you engaged in kingdom hustle in your home? Or are you, are you dragging your feet? Are you complaining? Are you wishing that you had a more glamorous or like an easier position in the church? Is your mind elsewhere than where God has stationed you right now? You're called to give your best here. When Paul wrote to servants in the first century church of Colossae, these were hard-working laborers. They were constantly serving other people's needs, uh, barely having time to take care of their own. He wrote to them, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You, you bondservants, you are serving the Lord Christ. Listen, we're to do our best because whatever you're called to do in this time as a student, as a parent, as a, as a, as a doctor, as a retiree, as a teacher, we're ultimately serving Christ. Christ gave himself for this very purpose, to make a people who aren't just kind of like, meh, with whatever they've been given, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll give, I'll give part of myself. But people who are zealous for good works. So our first church team statement, do your best. Do your, we'll put that in the locker room. Get after whatever you're given by God to do. Do it with kingdom hustle. Do it with a full heart, as if you're serving Christ himself. And our second statement is uh, devoted to our people. Devoted to our people. Uh, this is something that's more implicit in the text, but as you read Paul's conclusion, you get the sense that um, the people who are sending their greetings along with Paul, those who are receiving the greetings, uh, the four travelers who are coming through Crete, Titus and Paul, they're not just like a loose co collection of Christian people. They're family. They're a unit. They're a team. They're a church. In verse 14, if you look at it, Paul calls the Cretans our people. This is a very warm phrase, right? Uh, let our people... 
learn to devote themselves to good works. He's not saying the Cretans are your people, Titus. They, they are your problem. You deal with them, right? No, he's saying they are our people. Titus, we're on the same team. We're a family. You see some of that teamwork happening in verse 12, um, where uh, there's apparently some reconfiguring plans at work in Crete. I don't know if you pick this up. Paul sending uh, Artemis and Tychicus, it seems, to replace Titus on Crete, either temporarily while Titus is visiting Paul in Nicopolis. Potentially, this is a permanent move, and this made me a little bit sad, to be honest, as like a church planter type myself. It must have been hard for Titus to leave that island, even, even if it was temporary, to give up the post that he had given so much of his life to. But listen, Artemis and Tychicus and Titus, they are all on the same team. They are the same people. They are each other's people. In Hard Knocks, of course, this is a, a constant coaching note. There's no I in team, right? You need to have each other's backs. When you help each other win, we all win. You're not individuals out there on the field running your own plays for your own good. We're here for each other. We've got a common goal together. You need each other. We are better together. And this is a question for you as a church. Are you devoted to our people? If Christ church is your home church, are you all in with the people in this room? Of course, you know, we're called to, to love the big C church, the, the church Catholic and universal, all Christians and all times ever. We, we need to love them. We're also called specifically and commanded to love and serve our own biological families in a unique way. But listen, you're also being called in a very particular way to specifically, uniquely love this particular church to be devoted to these people. I won't get you to look around, but as you imagine looking around this room right now, are you devoted to our people? Can you say that, that they're your people? Or are you, are you just here on Sundays for yourself? Like to, to work on yourself spiritually in the presence of other people. When you go to home groups, home groups is an important part of the life of our church. We're on Tuesdays and Wednesdays we get together. Are you there to love and serve and help other people, your people, to grow closer to Christ? Or are you thinking, if this doesn't meet my needs, then I'm out. I'm not interested in that. I love you see them a lot in Halifax, the, the family over fame gear. You've seen those sweaters. Paul might make a hoodie that says uh, service over self-development. It doesn't ring off, you know, it doesn't roll off the tongue just as well as that. But yeah, it's okay. Christian maturity means that we leave behind, we're, we're, we're maturing and we're growing to leave behind selfishness and becoming more and more devoted to our people. This is our team. When others win, we all win. And so, so what, are, what are our slogans? What are, what are the posters that we're putting up in the church's locker room? The first one is this, do your best. You're serving Christ, so live with kingdom hustle. Second, devoted to our people. These are my people. I'm not just here for myself. And now our final mantra. This is it. Dwell in grace. Dwell in grace. Paul finishes the letter, I promise you it's in there, verse 15, <laughs> with these last words. Grace be with you all. End of verse 15. This is something that Paul almost always ends his letters with. He always asks that God's grace, that is his, his unmerited kindness, his compassionate love, that's what grace means, that, that this grace would surround and follow his readers wherever they go. This is how he ends his letter word for word um, to the letter to the Colossian church. Both of his letters to Timothy, he ends it by saying, grace be with you all, with y'all. 
Sometimes he, he specifies the grace that he's talking about. When he says grace, it's kind of a shorthand for something. In Philippians and in Galatians, he ends his, le- his letters with a long form. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. When you're in a huddle on the football field, let me tell you, right before the play, if you're the quarterback, you're communicating to your team what must be known in the next few moments. You're not talking about what's going to happen next Wednesday at lunch, all right? You're, you're giving them instructions for what is essential in the next few seconds before the ball is snapped. And this is what Paul is doing right now. He, he, he needs his team to know something. In order for the church to do their best, in order for the church to be devoted to our people, they must dwell in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've said over and over again in this series, the grace of Christ, his freely given love and forgiveness through his costly death on the cross for sinners and for their salvation, and only this grace can purify sinners like you and I and make us into a people who are zealous for good works. Only grace can do that to us. Listen, there's no mantra that'll get you there. There's no motivational slogan that I can give you that's powerful enough to change your heart. Apologies to NFL teams and moms everywhere. You cannot discipline yourself into doing your best for the church and for the city. To devote yourself to your people, you must first and without ceasing for the rest of your life dwell in this grace of Jesus. To believe, to trust in Christ's loving you and giving himself for you while you were still in your sin. You are not to leave this grace for something else. We, we cannot as a church. If we want to be of any good to each other or to our world, we must dwell here to rest and to rejoice in grace. Let it go with you wherever you go. The first readers of this letter, um, they would have read this entire letter in one setting. Uh, we've broken it up, obviously, just to get into it a little bit deeper. It's a letter, so we, they would just read it all the way through. And I wonder if the first listeners of Titus felt like Paul was a bit of a broken record, like he was being a bit repetitious, perhaps, because Paul kicks off his letter by saying, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. In chapter 2, he gets right back to that. In the passage I read at the beginning, he says, God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In chapter 3, verse 7, he says that God saved us. We are justified, forgiven, made new by his grace. And here at the finale, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul never wants us to move too far away from grace. Paul, in all of his writing, he wants us to keep on going back, touching grace, no matter what he's talking about. It's kind of like uh, the kid that you played tag with when you were little, maybe you were that kid, who never went too far away from the safety zone, you know, whether it was like a tree or part of the play structure where if I'm touching it, you can't tag me, I'm safe here. And uh, Paul does this often with grace. Okay, let's take some time to talk about false teachers. Oh, but let's run back really quick and put our hand on grace. Let's remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me address to you some qualifications that are needful for leaders in the church, but I don't want us to go too far away from grace. Let's go right back. Okay, listen, we need to spend some time together as a church to talk about doing good deeds together for each other and for our city. But hurry, let's, let's just spend another second longer considering the beauty and the glory of God's grace to us in Christ. One practice for, for you to try to, to grow in dwelling in grace is what the writer Jerry Bridges calls preaching the gospel to yourself. What Jerry wants us to do. He wants us to preach the gospel to ourselves, to be adept at this. So throughout the day, 
getting into the habit of just reminding ourselves of the grace of Christ. When you feel good, you know, when spiritually you're on point, you need to remind yourself to preach the gospel to yourself that everything you are and everything you have is a gift received from the kind hand of your Father. When you feel condemned, when you feel like your sin is too great for Christ to possibly love me, you are to meditate and speak this good news of grace to yourself. I am loved. God is with me. God is for me. And the cross of Jesus gives me undeniable proof that that's true. And importantly, when you're giving counsel and comfort to a friend who's struggling, who's asking you for help, uh, you, you can't help but bringing them over and over again to Christ's grace to them because Christ is their hope, not a change in their circumstances. You're called to preach the gospel to them to help your friends dwell in grace. So these are our three Church of Hard Knocks sayings, all right? Do your best, devoted to our people, dwell in grace, preach the gospel to yourself and to your people, He saved us out of his sheer grace and love. Rest in that. And so let's end here. We've spent eight weeks, it's been eight weeks, going through this first century letter, written to people who are just like us, worshiping together on the Lord's Day, just like we are, and trying to grow up and out as a church, just like we are. We've been given this letter, friends, this letter from Paul to Titus as a gift from God. This has been God himself coaching us, uh, showing us the game plan, uh, preparing our church for the challenges that are sure to be ahead, reminding each of us of our individual roles within the church. But listen, now practice is over. We, We are on the field together in a moment. And our faithful captain, Jesus Christ, he calls us into the huddle, he calls the next play, and together we say, break. It's time to execute. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the comfort given to us through this letter. Would you continue to speak to us the lessons that you've taught us over these past eight weeks? May you continue to grow and nurture our church through your word. And may we always dwell in the grace of Christ. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.